Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. As probably all of you know, today is Veterans Day. So uh, just for a moment before we introduce the panel, um, I want to pay tribute to the women and men who have served in the military, whether in peacetime or in war, to protect our liberties, to defend our rights. And today, and this week, more than ever, to thank them for uh, their service in terms of guarding, safeguarding our right to, f- to have free and fair elections, which seems to be so important as we deal with the issues that we're confronting uh, with uh, accusations of fraud, stolen votes uh, today, and will continue to, I think, in the days ahead. My dad served, um, he was a lieutenant in the Navy who served on a refrigerated cargo ship in the South Pacific during World War II. And um, so I'm thinking a bit about him today as I am about so many others out there. Um, Thank you for your service. All right, let's get to the show. Greg Bluestein is here. He, of course, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Greg, as I introduce you, I want to make two corrections from the headlines that I uh, did at the very top of the show um, because they've already changed. Number one. Uh, the Biden lead over Trump in Georgia is now 14,111 votes. So it just gets wider and wider. And two, Greg, uh, you should tell everybody where you are right now, because although I said that Vice President Pence is the first of the big stars to announce he's coming to Georgia for the runoff election, I was thinking of it in terms of executive branch. But you yourself are right now waiting for a big event to start in Cobb County. Yeah, I'm looking directly at the Cobb County Republican Party headquarters where Senator Marco Rubio, who's also a 2024 potential presidential candidate, is set to have her his, the first big rally with Senator Kelly Leffler in the runoff era in Georgia. So let the 2024 race begin and let the runoff campaign, at least on the Republican side, begin for real now. Yeah, and there really is no question uh, that we're going to see a parade of stars, luminaries come to Georgia. Um, we're joined by Dr. Andre Gillespie, uh, professor of political science at Emory University and director of the James Weldon Johnson Institute on Race and Difference. Uh, Andra, it, it, it's interesting. I just read a few minutes ago, uh, I think on the AJC blog, that while um, we're expecting a lot of Democrats to come down in support of Ossoff, and um, Warnock, that uh, Democrats here are saying not so much Joe Biden, they want Barack Obama, which I think is understandable, but also interesting. And Biden is saying, I'll do whatever they want. Andra? I can't say that, uh, you know, I'm surprised by that at all. So, um, you know, Joe Biden is now the standard bearer of the Democratic Party. But, you know, up until last Tuesday, Barack Obama was the most popular Democrat in the country. So it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Uh, Leo Smith is uh, with us today. Uh, Leo is a a former uh, leader in the state Republican Party. He was the minority outreach director with the party. But Leo, you have moved on. You now consider yourself an independent and you have now launched your tell us about the business that you've launched and what its purpose is. 
Well, you know, I saw these trends happening, everyone, with the Republican Party back in 2012, stepped in and became Minority Voter Engagement Director to work on diversity and inclusion within our party and external to our party with the citizens for citizen engagement. So I started Engage Futures Group LLC um, to work on civic engagement, government relations and public affairs on conservative issues mostly, but pro-justice, pro-black, pro-democracy kind of Republican issues. Um, we're glad you are back with us today. We're joined for the first time on the show, and I'm very happy to welcome him by uh, State Representative Sam Park of Lawrenceville. Sam Park, you, um, you were, you, when you were elected in 2016, you broke ground in a couple of ways when you joined the Georgia legislature, right? Uh, correct. Uh, so I have uh, the privilege and distinction of being the first Asian-American Democrat and first openly gay man ever elected to the Georgia State Legislature. And happy to be on your show for the very first time, Bill. Happy Veterans Day. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, all right, let's get started on talking about where we stand with the election in Georgia and nationally. Greg, um, the uh, you're going to see Marco Rubio in a few minutes. And I want to read a quote from Rubio, which um, continues this Republican... Uh, uh, campaign to uh, question the legitimacy of the vote uh, across the country, including here in Georgia, uh, Rubio said something really interesting. He said, quote, the fact that 70 percent of Republicans don't believe the 2020 election was free and fair, that should be of concern to everyone. He said 78 percent of Republicans believe mail-in voting led to widespread voter fraud. Seventy two percent believe that ballots were tampered with. Um, it's it, it, Greg, what's fascinating about that quote is it's self-fulfilling prophecy. It is Republicans who have been leading Republicans to believe that this election is in doubt. Uh, and Greg, while we're talking about that, we should also add that here in Georgia, Doug Collins, as a representative for the Trump campaign, has now called for an expedited uh, recount of the ballots even before the votes are certified. It, it's perfectly reasonable after the votes are certified to call for a recount within half a percent, if that's what the margin is. Uh, but to do it in an expedited manner is another example of an interesting uh, effort that Republicans are making to see if they can win some votes here and there. Yes. Yeah. And look, I know this is a point you guys have been making all week. Uh, we've been making it too in the pages of Atlanta Journal Constitution, but we're hearing um, claims of fraud and voter irregularities that have no shred of evidence behind them. There's no credible evidence. Uh, the one lawsuit that was that was filed by the Republican Party in the Trump campaign was promptly dismissed after a basically an hour long hearing down in Savannah. Um, and you've had top state elections officials, along with Republican Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, saying that there's no evidence of any sort of widespread or credible fraud or irregularities. And against that backdrop, you've got um, the same thing that Marco Rubio, the same kind of quote you heard from Marco Rubio is, is what's being pushed by by top Republican officials here in Georgia who are not congratulating, who are refusing to congratulate um, uh, President-elect Biden and, and kind of move on with the transition. Um, to, by my count, only a very small number of Republicans in Georgia have have talked about this transition and said basically congratulations to Biden and they are, you know, uh, county level officials, the state board of elections member, Jason Downey, uh, outgoing Cobb GOP chair, uh, Cobb Republican Commission chair, um, uh, Mike Boyce. You know, the, the very few number and, uh, you know, Governor Kemp, Senators Leffler, Purdue, top Republican officials 
uh, not only are they not congratulating, not 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 accepting the outcome of the election, but they are they're actively trying to discredit um, Joe Biden's win. Andra, the New York Times over the last two days contacted every secretary of state's office in the country and asked about fraud and whether they'd seen malfeasance in their elections. They talked to 45 secretaries of state or their surrogates in state office, and not a single one reported any substantive uh, examples of voter fraud, stolen votes, malfeasance of any kind, Andra. Um, you know, I mean, I, I have to admit I'm, I'm very um, troubled by what I've seen. Um, you know, not only is it a lack of, 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 of good sportsmanship, I just think in terms of thinking about not just lowering the temperature, but also thinking about that we make our claims based in fact and evidence. I think that that's being routinely undermined by what's going on here. And so what I see is a bunch of hand-waving that some people see as evidence of something when, in fact, when you just scratch below the surface, there really isn't anything there. And I don't begrudge the Trump campaign for wanting to do recounts in places where the margins are particularly close, right? That's within their right to do. But it's another thing to impugn the integrity of the entire process. It's another thing to go after members of your own party when they produce results that aren't aligned with what you wanted to see. Um, and... Um, you know, I think that that's the part that is more troubling. I also think it's more troubling when people are, you know, out publicly trying to claim things that aren't out there. So, you know, when Mike Pompeo yesterday started to talk about um, what well, we're going to have a second, you know, we're going to transition into a second administration. It's like, yeah, you could have just said transition generically and kind of moved on as opposed to actually saying something that all the evidence points in the opposite direction of. And I think that that's the part that that's 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 most troubling. Sam and then Leo, nowhere in the country is the uh, uh, tension ratcheted up quite as high as it is right here in Georgia. And it's exemplified by uh, what we all saw happen two days ago, Sam, the kind of shocking statement put out by Kelly Leffler and David Perdue uh, attacking their own Republican or, or a Republican, not their Republican, a Republican secretary of state accusing him of an election that was not transparent, where there may have been a fraud and other deceptive practices. Um, and uh, it was, it, as I said, it was shocking to many people because, you know, Raffensperger over the last year has come in for a lot of criticism and on this show, uh, partly because of the slowness in which they seemed and the awkwardness in which they seemed to roll out the new voting machines that led to terrible problems on the primary uh, day. And, and so his office probably has deserved some of the uh, pretty significant criticism they've had in the past. But by all accounts, they and the county uh, election officials who ran the election this uh this last week, have done an exemplary job, Sam. Uh, right. Again, I think it's incredibly concerning what we're seeing, where two sitting U.S. senators um, are are really undermining the integrity of our of U.S. elections and the trust that folks have in in our democracy, um, and and who would would be in power moving forward. I think that's incredibly concerning, especially the statistics you had you had mentioned earlier, where 70 percent of Republicans think that there was not a free and fair election. Um, when all is said and done, what is all of this? What is the purpose of all of this? At least from my perspective, it seems uh, Senators Purdue and Loeffler are simply trying to keep their base riled up to turn out in January 
ultimately, um, with a sh- with, with, with short term gain in mind, with long term harm that I don't think they're even contemplating. Um, but again, when all is said and done, incredibly concerning and, and in my opinion, quite shameful. Um, that in the midst of so many crises we're facing as a country, they continue to divide simply for the purpose of of, of appeasing Trump um, and trying to retain power. Leo? You know, you know I, I think it's really important that everyone hear this. And first of all, Jeff Duncan, you know, on Veterans Day, I'm not sure if he's a veteran or not, but he deserves a Medal of Courage. And every every Republican that speaks out against this attack on democracy deserve a medal of courage for being more interested in being an American than being partisan and being under the foot of a temper tantrum president who has decided to use the Trumplican base to to be a weapon against anybody running for office and who wants to support a fair and just election. That's the travesty here. And they need to have the courage to stand up for the long-term, well-tested principles of conservatism, the values base that we're supposed to have, and justify their, their, their cowtelling to this nonsense. That's why I, I would say now that I'm an independent, because I can't identify with that kind of republicanism that's more concerned about the short-term, you know, bowing to the hill of Donald Trump than they are about the principles of the party. And there's a lot of me. I mean, according to Ipsos, 80% of Americans believe that Biden fairly won. Fairly won okay? And Ipsos data also says that a majority of Republicans, the Republicans I speak to, you know, the Republicans I'm calling with, the partners that I've engaged with, are making sure we fight for democracy. This is a Republican thing fighting for democracy as much as it is a Democrat or libertarian or independent thing. So we've got to push back on it. President-elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have won. And Republicans need to get out of denial and come to grips with that. And if we want to win this, this Senate election fairly, then we're going to have to do work to really engage the hearts and minds of people on policy and not on these shenanigans. You know, Leo, uh, as you say, you've uh, separated yourself from the Republican Party uh, here, but I'm sure you're still in touch with people in the party. I have now heard from a number of Georgia Republicans who are uncomfortable, they don't want to speak out publicly, they want to talk confidentially, who have said they're really, really frightened by the way the party seems to be tearing itself apart. They've uh, told me how how distressing it is, and Jim Galloway uh, made this public in a column he wrote that appeared today in an interview with Raffensperger that Brad Raffensperger's been getting death threats, so his family is under protection, he is being protected right now. So there are state Republicans who who are very worried. Chris Carr now is becoming a subject of criticism, the attorney general, by some of the uh, diehard Trump Republicans in the party. It seems, Leo, I'd love to know whether you're hearing similar things from people who just feel they can't speak out publicly. Oh, absolutely I am. I mean, you guys know I've always challenged our party on on diversity and inclusion. And that, that, that there's been times, I mean, there was a report not long ago, a couple of years ago, where I was attacked for my role in diversifying the party. And so, look, this is happening again, and I'm not afraid of it because I know what Republicans stand for. And I believe that in just a few weeks, maybe a few days, 
that if we continue to support the Republicans, like Chris Carr and others, and nationally if we support the Republicans, and we call on the Secretary of State who are doing good work, like Brad Raffensperger, who, by the way, was elected to fix elections problems, and you saw the incredible result from the primary election to the general, three-minute wait times, more young people being poll workers, more access to the ballot, redundancy in ballot security. I mean, we, he did exactly why, what, what Republicans asked him to do. I mean, so this is absolutely an attack on democracy, an attack on the principles of republicanism. And I think Republicans will come through and say we detest that kind of thing. So um, Leo and I have talked about this before. And so, um, you know, we agree that America deserves a very robust two-party system. And I think the thing that troubles me most about the Republican response to President Trump, especially in light of his electoral defeat, is that uh, from my vantage point, it seems like this is still being run as a cult of personality. And it's a cult of personality where the emperor has no clothes. And, yeah, I get it. Some uh, Republicans gain seats in the House. Uh, you know, they may be in position to hold on to the Senate. Um, there's still those two Georgia races to decide, so that's still out there. You know, there were, you know, gains that were made. They held on to state legislative um, control of state legislatures. I, yeah, I understand all of that. But at the end of the day, it's about power or it's about democracy. And when people don't stand up to a, 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 a president who just got defanged, Right. That suggests a certain level of fear or a certain level of complicitness in what's going on there. And for everybody who is afraid of Donald Trump, I don't know why people don't understand that there are more of them than there are of the Trump family. And, yeah, somebody's probably going to end up losing a seat or losing their job, but he can't take everybody out. The emperor has no clothes. I don't understand why people are running around so scared. I get it that you got a lot of voters. Um, who will do anything that President Trump says. But as people continue to stand up, people will eventually start to clue into sort of the lunacy of some of what is going on here. And I just, you know, I shake my head when I look at my Republican friends who don't have the intestinal fortitude to stand up to things that are, one, anti-democratic and things that are just plain ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, this is the, the this is the point in our history in which Republicans you know, they need to come out. You know, I, I don't think it's a matter of partisanship at this point in time. It's a matter of whether or not uh, you are a patriot, whether or not you care about the integrity of our democracy and are willing, um, after four years, uh, to stand up to someone who has consistently attacked our democratic institutions, whether it's uh, attacking the free press, saying they're the enemy of the people, or trying to undermine uh, uh, the mail-in uh, ballot voting process and, and just inserting fear and uncertainty, um, you know, if if Republicans truly say what they, uh, you know, what, what Leah was saying, again, now is the time to stand up. Now is the time to speak out and reclaim your conservative values. Um, and when all is said and done, to stand up for this country, especially, um, you know, the, the democracy in which so many veterans uh, sacrifice uh, their lives uh, to, to preserve. Greg Bluestein, I want to get you back into the conversation, and, and I want to do it in a couple ways, if I may. Um, first, I just want to say, we've said this week, and we, I, I feel like I've got to say it every day right now, um, we have always, as people who listen to this show know, worked at balance. We've always welcomed Republican voices on the show. We've had smart conversations with them. Mm -hmm. um, this is not right now about partisanship. Uh, this is an, a, about an attack on the democratic process that I think all of us as journalists 
are obligated to, to um, uh, unpack, to discuss. So, I mean, that's one thing I throw it at you. But the, the other thing, Greg, is I, tell us, talk a minute. We, we can't, it, you know, there was one side that was a little bit hopeful, I thought, yesterday, and I think you're the one who wrote the story about it. State Representative David Clark wanted to have a special session to change voting rules before the J- January 5th uh, runoff election uh, to make it harder for what he said called outsiders from interfering in our elections. He was immediately shot down by the governor, uh, the speaker, uh, the president of the Senate, the lieutenant governor. Uh, but the fact that he said, we have got to stop outsiders from interfering in our election just tells you where some of this craziness is heading, Greg. Yeah, I mean, first off, Bill, this is not about partisanship. It's about citizenship, as, as everyone has said over the last uh, 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and, you know, you're right. That was a glimmer of of um, of consensus you saw there because um, these things fester. <laughs> um, I had seen I had seen not just Vernon and not just David Clark, but Vernon Jones, an outgoing Democratic state representative who's, who's a big pro-Trump supporter and some others on Twitter talking about this. So I just kind of bugged the governor's office and said, hey, um, if you're going to shoot this down, you'd rather shoot it down now than in two weeks when you start seeing rank and file members who you actually have more respect for than Vernon than they do Vernon Jones um, start to call for this stuff. Um, and and, can, and can I, that's why we're that's where we're at right now. I, 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 can you Leo? hear me? Yes. Yeah. I want to make sure that yeah. when someone's name is mentioned as a state representative, I want to make sure that we know who they really are. I know Vernon. Vernon has come to me many times over the years to ask me, how do I emerge as a Republican? What opportunities are there for me? And I always ignore them because he has no platform. The other thing he has is a desire to entertain. When they introduced him at the Ronald McDaniel event down by the state capitol, they introduced him as the showman. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's being a show. But Leo, he does have a platform okay, I, now. I do it, it, I was just going to say real quick, he does have ahead, a platform Greg. now, and, and I feel like that Republicans have given him this giant platform. He is speaking to thousands of Republicans at these rallies, and he's something that he's a force that they're going to have to deal with for the next few years, at least, maybe maybe well into the next decade, um, as, 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 a, uh, as just a Republican voice when he starts running for statewide office or, or, or running for other, other offices down the road. So. He is going to be an um, after effect of this election cycle for Republicans for years to come. Yeah. Sam, I do want to be a little careful, and then I'll turn it over to you, about uh, making— I mean, I, I feel—Vernon yeah, Jones has for a long time, we all know this, who've covered politics here, been someone who's um, been sort of an outlandish, larger-than-life figure, both as a Democrat back when he was CEO of DeKalb County. I do, though, Sam, want to be a little careful about questioning his, I mean, for all we know, he really did have a, a, a conversion in which he believes Donald Trump is best for the country. And I just don't think I can read his mind. And so I want to be a little careful about how far we go in uh, 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 attacking him on that. Sam? So, so I, I would not want to uh, get into Vernon's mind uh, personally. Um, I'll, I'll allow others to, to do so. Um, and you know, generally, as a matter of, of approach, you know, for, for me, it, it you know allows someone's actions to speak for themselves. So the one thing I did want to comment um, in regards to my colleague, Representative David Clark, and his concerns is once again we are seeing uh, baseless, unsubstantiated claims 
or assertions, allegations uh, being raised that have no basis in reality, um, not just when it comes to these demands of outsiders uh, influencing the runoff elections or the possibility thereof, uh, but but in regards to the actual count itself. Um, and, and, you know, I think this is not a, a strange phenomenon that's all of a sudden popped up, but I think it's four years of, of mistruths, of, of misleading information uh, that has been inserted into the public uh, discourse, again, that ultimately undermines trust, ultimately results in people being unable to trust their institutions in our democratic process uh, to the long-term detriment of this country, which, again, I think is incredibly da dangerous. And I hope, I really honestly do hope and sincerely hope that Republicans, and I know that there are some um, in, in Georgia, um, that, that they remain fixed and, and come back to reality. Um, you know, let's make sure that, you know, we are talking about um, objective truths and facts, um, especially in light of the challenges we face. Greg, we're going to have to get to a break, but before we do, um, there's a lot of passion around what's happening this week. Obviously, we're hearing it from all of us on the show today, but let's also talk about just plain facts and reality. Uh, in the days ahead, the process of the Georgia vote being uh, certified should unfold. We have no reason to think it won't unfold in the traditional manner in which it always has, and in the long run, it appears now uh, that Joe Biden will be declared the winner here, right? I mean, yes. again, uh, we yes. have reason to be concerned, but the process is a process that continues to work. Yes. Yeah. Um, the The election should be is, is scheduled to be certified sometime next week, probably the later end of next week. Democrats have their sixteen electors ready to go. Um, if you look at the fourteen thousand plus vote lead that Joe Biden has in Georgia now. That is more than the lead that he that he has in Arizona, which which national networks and the Associated Press have already called for him. And if you look at recounts, look, state elections officials acknowledge to me that the recount is not going to change, is not very not not remotely likely to to change the outcome of the race. If you look at the Florida recount, uh, the vote changed by about twelve hundred votes, uh, less than two thousand votes, I should yeah. say. So, and we're looking at fourteen thousand. All right. So we should keep in mind that uh, there are reasons for concern, but we will watch to see if the, as the process plays out in a traditional manner here in Georgia and across the country. I want to keep talking about how Georgia uh, <laughs> elected a Democratic presidential candidate for the first time since 1992 with this uh, terrific panel after we take a break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Democratic State Representative Sam Park from Lawrenceville, uh, Leo Smith, uh, who now calls himself an independent, no longer a Republic, Georgia Republican, Greg Bluestein of the AJC, and uh, Dr. Andra Gillespie join us for the show today. Um, Andra, let me start with you, if I may. Ernie Suggs has a piece on the front page of the uh, Atlantic Journal-Constitution this morning in which he 
uh, talks about the uh, black organizations in Georgia that have worked so hard to uh, identify and register voters, uh, get them excited about turning out to vote. He talks about organizations like the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda. We know that Stacey Abrams uh, and, and her multiple organizations have been at this for a number of years now. And I want to ask you to give us your take. I know it's early days. We're still waiting for data from uh, the Secretary of State on the demographics of the vote. But from what you're seeing, how did Georgia end up? What what were the components that turned Georgia in the presidential race only at this point blue? So, I mean, I think it is a combination of demographics and party building and infrastructure building. Um, So, you know, I, I can't help but think about this as a why Georgia and, you know, why not South Carolina, um, especially thinking in the context of the Senate race and, and, and why Georgia and why not North Carolina. And I've been asked in the last couple of weeks, like, you know, why Georgia and why not Mississippi or Alabama? Um, and demographics are a part of that. And so, you know, African-Americans are at the base of all of these states' democratic electorates. So these are all, with the exception of North Carolina states, that have, you know, about at least 30 to 35 percent of their population being African-American, the overwhelming majority of which are going to vote Democratic in an election. But 30% never beats 70% if the 70% votes, you know, 70% Republican, right? It's just that simple math. So you have to put a multiracial coalition together. And so what distinguishes Georgia in particular from the rest of the Deep South is the fact that we have a growing Asian American and Latinx population in the state. And so in, you know, since 2012, we have seen the, the proportion of Asian American and, and Latinx voters double in the state. So you've got this growing part of the population and you have enough liberal whites who are willing to vote Democratic in elections that now we're seeing Democrats actually being able to be competitive. And that, you know, not registration advantage since we don't have that, but basically what is the equivalent of the registration advantages in terms of sheer number of voters in the state has actually narrowed over time. So that's great because you could have all of these potential voters, but if they're not registered to vote, if they're not engaged, if they're not mobilized, then you're not actually going to take advantage of that. And so what organizations like the New Georgia Project did, what like the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda did, like also all this work that Stacey Abrams was doing and Helen Butler has been doing for a really, really long time, is identifying voters who are likely to be Democrats um, and getting them registered to vote and educating them about the process and then mobilizing them because registration isn't enough. Like if you register to vote, it actually, you know, you got about 50, 50 shot of actually showing up to, to, to vote on election day. So it's going back and reminding them of the process, helping them navigate what kinds of ID people need, what are, when are, when is your, where is your polling place, when is it open, right? And so that work that's been going on, you know, in the state for years, is finally starting to pay off and manifesting itself in what we're seeing as these really close elections. And so um, if we look at the close elections of the past, those, you know, were during the period where white Democrats were shifting their party identification towards the Republican Party. What we're seeing now is a diversifying electorate, increasing the vote share for Democrats. And so we're getting ready to go through, we're starting at the beginning of a period where we're going to see close elections and where we're going to see Democrats and Republicans probably alternate wins for a couple of years until, you know, Georgia decides, you know, what its partisan character is going to be. So, you know, if there are any changes in how minorities sort of choose their party identification, maybe we'll see shifts. 
if we'll see sort of whether or not whites start to change their party identification in significant ways, maybe it will solidify a Democratic um, sort of voting advantage for the near future. But it's a combination. So it's demographics and it's organization. Um, and we can't, you know, they, they go hand in hand. Greg, I'm, Sam Park, I want to talk about the Asian vote here in a second, but I know Greg Bluestein has to leave us early uh, to get to the Rubio rally. So, Greg, let, let me throw this out as well. Um, we talk about Stacey Abrams and the organization she created to register and uh, energize uh, uh, voters uh, to get them to the polls to uh, help uh, Biden win this election. But, but we also have to uh, remind ourselves, I think, of what she did in 2018 when she ran for governor herself. She rejected the traditional Democratic values by which uh, white Democrats had been running for election statewide for decades. That old yellow dog Democrat approach to politics, she said no. This state is ready to elect a progressive candidate who enthusiastically embraces more progressive ideas. And although she came up short by a very small margin, she certainly paved the way for those progressive ideas to be more acceptable and and embraced this time. Do you think I have that right? (laughs) Bill, you got it exactly right. Anytime I'm asked by a national outlet about Stacey Abrams' role, I mentioned, yes, the the, the surge of of new voters and, and, and and, and folks she's registered all around the state. But that is part and parcel um, to, to, to how Georgia has changed, too, because she showed in 2018 that there is a pathway for Democrats running as Democrats, not as Republican lights, not as moderates, but running as progressive Democrats to win in Georgia. Obviously, she did not win in Georgia, but she came close enough. The Democrats, like like Sam Park, who, came, who, who was elected uh, uh, before her, but still Democrats saw that, hey, you know, there is, you can win statewide in Georgia, um, by embracing progressive ideals and not trying to run as an NRA Democrat or, or, or you know, running against, uh, 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 you know, national issues that the party has embraced. I, I want to make one comment. Uh, if I were Keisha Lance Bottoms these days, I would feel very neglected. Uh, and I do think, uh, although she has a different role than Stacey Abrams, it, it, we've got to acknowledge that Keisha Lance Bottoms uh, endorsed Joe Biden very, very early, stayed with him through the troubles that he experienced when it became, it appeared clear he was going to be candidate who would not get anywhere, it would not advance. She stuck with him uh, to the bitter end. And I do think, Greg, that she deserves a little credit right now for having been an enthusiastic supporter. Yeah, we started writing last year that she was she was um, Joe Biden's most forceful surrogate, um, most prominent surrogate, not just in Georgia, but probably in the South. Um, And look, she'll, she'll get plenty of too in the coming days because she's going to be on on a lot of potential Joe Biden administration cabinet lists. So she'll get her credit as well. But, you know, that moment when Georgia, when when Clayton County votes put Georgia over the Biden over the top in Georgia, um, that was a celebration among Democrats of of Stacey Abrams role in all this, showing that there's a pathway and and leading the way there. Um, Sam Park. Uh, and by the way, Greg Bluestein, do you need to get to this rally? Because I don't want to keep you. I under you told us there's going to be thousands of people there, and there's how many <laughs> media organizations thousands. have registered for this? There's dozens of reporters at this event. It's funny because you know just a few weeks ago it was maybe me and a couple TV cameras at these events, and now now we were joined by a lot of our national friends, which is awesome. 
Um, but yes, um, I'm looking at the very long line in front of me, so I'm going to duck out a little bit early, guys. All right. Why don't you go ahead? Thank you, Greg. We, we always love, you know how much we value your uh, analysis of, of the race. So if you have to duck out, that, that makes perfect sense. We'll look forward to reading your stories about the Rubio rally. Um, Sam Parkett and, and then Leo. Uh, Sam, so uh, Sam Burmas Dawes, our producer, pulled some uh, really interesting uh, data about the uh, Asian uh, and Pacific Islander uh, vote here in Georgia you check me on this if these numbers are updated. Uh, we're now we now have two hundred thirty eight thousand um, uh, Asian and Pacific Islander Americans eligible to vote in the state. They represent four point seven percent of the electorate, and there's been a hundred thirty eight percent increase in that population since two thousand. And you, with your base in Lawrenceville are an awfully good example of how the diversity of that county has turned it bright blue and uh, the Asian and Pacific Islander uh, American vote has certainly been a part of that, yes? Without a doubt. Um, you know, the, of course, the Asian American community is uh, one of the fastest growing minor, uh, minority communities, not just in the country, but of course in the state as well. But of course, as Stacey Abrams also says, uh, demographics isn't destiny. It is nothing more than an opportunity. Um, you know, I think part of the success of Stacey going to going back a bit to the previous conversation is not necessarily just, you know, running on progressive ideas and values, but those ideas and values, no matter how you want to characterize them, I think make the best sense. For example, when we're talking about Medicaid expansion, you know, you can characterize it as conservative, uh, progressive, how whatever you want, all of that to say from a policy perspective, it is the most. It is one of the most effective policy approaches to, to providing access to healthcare to the low-income population. And I think when you're looking at the changing demographics, there's there's a few other elements that I just want to note. One is the level of education, which I think is important to consider. The other is age, because um, I think part of the demographic change, part of what's bringing in the diversity, is a generational change. And and those two elements I think are important to consider because when all is said and done. We have to understand that voters are in the position to, to go with the person or go with the elected official or candidate uh, that best proposes solutions to the problems they face. I mean, the purpose of government, when all is said and done, or, or our Constitution, is to provide for effective governance, um, as, as set forth in, in the preamble of the U.S. Constitution. And I think there is a desire for that, for, for us to simply return uh, to government that works for we the people. Um, and, and I think part of the changing demographics that we're seeing that, are, that is, again, ushering in an opportunity, um, you know, it, it provides, you know, people an opportunity, again, to, to, again, pitch the best solutions to the problems that they face. Um, now, with, with the Asian um, American, one, one more thing I'd add about the Asian American community, if I may, it's been fascinating because I think Asian Americans tend to be socially and fiscally conservative. But I think we're seeing a realignment given how anti-immigrant the Republican Party has become. And, of course, given all the racist anti-Asian rhetoric, Senator Loeffler has repeated that the Trump administration has repeated that has raised or that has increased discrimination and violence against Asian-American communities. And, and more likely than not, um, you know, Asian-Americans will continue to vote Democrat. Um, 
if we continue to see the kind of xenophobia being emanating uh, emanating from the Republican Party. But but I like this notion that demographics are not destiny, they're opportunity. And and the reason I like it is because it it reminds us that we can't look at any given community, uh, even the African-American community, of course, and think of them as monolithic in their voting. But we can see clues in the in the data. So, for instance, um, according to the APIA, the Asian and Pacific Islander American Vote Organization, about 50,000 Asian Americans in Georgia lack health insurance. About 42,000 uh, live in poverty. Um, I mean, that in and of itself suggests where those uh, 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 residents of the state, citizens of the state, may go with their vote to the to whomever is offering them the solutions to those problems. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's basically what you just said and, and looking at it through the, the data. Um, Leo, I'm going to come to you in a minute, but I got to get to a final break in the show. And, and then I want to continue this conversation. We'll be back after these messages. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Leo Smith, you were in the forefront of uh, Georgia Republicans saying this party here had better start embracing minority groups in the state or else... Uh, at a certain point, it was going to become irrelevant. Andre Gillespie just a few minutes ago told us that the way the state is changing, we're probably going to see elections going back and forth between Democrats and election and Republicans in the years ahead. But so here's a question for you, Leo. While on one hand, uh, the victory of a presidential Democratic presidential candidate, first time since 1992, is a signal that Republicans had better look at how they are uh, uh, reaching out to voters. On the other hand, they did not lose the seats in the legislature that Democrats had felt they were going to be able to pick up. Um, Nationwide, uh, the Republicans did far better in Congress and in U.S. Senate races than Democrats thought they would. So it strikes me in a way that for Georgia Republicans, there's something of a mixed message here, but maybe I have that wrong. Talk about that, Leo. No, no, certainly there is a mixed message, and I think it comes from us having infantile leadership, meaning I don't mean that they're childish. I mean that they're, they're new and they're fresh, and, and, and there was a shift with the presence of Donald Trump, and so we weren't committed to the long-term commitment we had in developing this product called America. I mean, we're, we're sort of like beta testers of this a new America. And yes, the demographics do give us opportunities to bring more people to the table to test this product. We're a young country. My mother couldn't vote when I was born. I'm 56 years old. Let's just think about how young we are in being involved in politics in a way that's actually pluralistic. So we have a caution and we have a cause, a cure. Look at Maria Elvira Salazar, the Cuban-American down in Miami-Dade. And look how Miami-Dade shifted. That's opportunity for Republicans to look how, how she ran her campaign. With that campaign working Gwinnett, just as diverse as Miami-Dade, those are the opportunities that I tried to bring to the party, and we have to return 
to those kind of platform agenda oriented um, um, uh, movements and campaigns so the party can be principled again. Andre, do you think this sort of mixed message, do you think I'm right? I proposed on the show on Monday and got significant pushback from uh, Shirley Franklin uh, when I said that to some extent the vote in Georgia appeared to me to be a rejection of Trump by some Republicans uh, or by, uh, well, maybe I got that wrong, by some Republicans who then went on to vote Republican in down-ballot races, so there's a mixed message. But maybe I have that completely wrong. I'd love to hear your take on that. I don't know if, if we're wrong there. It's going to take a little extra examination um, of, of what's going on um, just to see whether or not we have people splitting their votes from presidential to down ballot or whether it's people skipping the top and then voting down ballot. Um, Donald Trump, you know, deserves credit for having driven up turnout amongst Republicans, too. Um, and that may also be a little bit of, of, of what we see going on there. But in general, I mean, you know, there is not just a mixed message about race. There is also the wrong message when it comes to issues related to racial justice. So the Republican Party, first of all, has a fundamental problem where it refuses to understand how group identity matters, right? So it's this notion, you know, of colorblind racism, basically, that's going on there. And so you hide behind colorblindness. And then you choose not to see what what else is going on. So first, you refuse to see the way that white sort of use group identity in ways that's politically expedient for them, um, and you refuse to acknowledge that people of color um, have legitimate reasons for thinking about sort of uh, how this affects their larger racial community before it affects themselves, um, and why there are lots of reasons why people of color have been socialized to not think individualistically, and why that's actually a good thing. Um, and then there is the issue of dealing with systemic racism. So this current administration doesn't believe that systemic racism is a real thing, though we see evidence of it all around, right? We can't start a policy discussion if people won't agree on what they're seeing, if they won't agree on basic things like history, like, you know, the group that eventually got enslaved showed up practically enslaved in 1619. The fact that we can't have that conversation in America without somebody trying to get that banned from discussion in school is just ridiculous. So, um, so we've got to have that discussion, and then there's going to have to be some ownership and some repentance for the things that have been said and done, not just in the last four years, but also years prior to that as well. And so if we don't have that hard conversation and we don't do that sort of deep dive and digging into this really festered wound in America, there's going to be a problem, and Republicans are never going to get past the suspicion that lots of racial and ethnic minorities hold, because that's the only way we're going to get past the racism that makes race salient in terms of predicting people's party identification. Sam, weigh in on this. So, so you know, I've, I've talked to, you know, a few colleagues uh, mm-hmm. in the House, and, you know, I think we were all, you know, somewhat disappointed that, um, you know, we, we did not flip as many seats. Uh, that said, I think Democrats should be, Georgia Democrats in particular, should be incredibly proud of, of the work that we've done, not just over the past few years, but over the past decade, and building out infrastructure and empowering people by getting them registered to vote and, 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 and inspiring and educating them as to why they should exercise uh, their right. I mean, the fact that Georgia, controlled by Republicans, uh, voted for Biden. I mean, that, that, that unequivocally slammed shut the door on four more years of Trump. Um, and of course, it demonstrates that Georgia is, is competitive statewide, meaning, you know, in two years, the governor's mansion is, is within grasp. 
Um, of course, when it comes to the state legislature, uh, the state legislature, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, of course, you know these maps. Uh, you know we inherited incredibly gerrymandered uh, maps going back to the uh, path uh, reapportionment, and of course that's another big concern going forward, especially in light of uh, the Supreme Court case, uh, Common Cause v. Rochelle, which will allow. Republicans to, to draw the maps however they want. That said, again, there is that saving grace in that um, we have an opportunity to take over uh, the, the governor's mansion and other statewide races, and it should give every Georgian, uh, particularly first-time voters, new voters, um, a reason to stay involved and, and to continue to vote um, in, in order to move this state forward. Um, I just want to point out to you all, you know, we haven't really gotten into today, and we have time to do it in the days ahead, uh, the dynamics of the uh, race uh, between uh, Leffler and uh, Raphael Warnock on one side and uh, 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 Ossoff and Purdue on the other. But we now know uh, the election in, Arizona, in Alaska uh, it was just called for uh, Senator Dan Sullivan, which means that we now have a 50, we now have uh, a, a, it is going to definitely be Georgia that will determine who controls uh, the United States uh, Senate. So if you think you've seen a lot of TV ads, if you think you've seen money pour into this state, none of us have seen anything yet. Um, by the way, Andra, I was interested, um, I'm always interested in what you have to say, but you know, uh, we talk about expanding voter bases. I was looking, and I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but i am kind of got a general idea of this. Hillary Clinton in 2016 won about 1.8 million votes in the state of Georgia. Joe Biden is approaching 2.5 million votes, an extraordinary increase. Uh, at the same time, though, I think uh, uh, President Trump gained about 400,000 votes over what he did here in 2016. So it is important that Biden was able to dramatically increase the, the Democratic vote turnout here. Yes? Yes. I mean, I think it's also important that you increase the number of, of voters. So, again, Democrats couldn't grow a base if they weren't registered to vote. And then, like, if they didn't show up to vote, then it doesn't matter how many registrants you have. So, I mean, it just shows how all of these things are really tied together and you can't have mobilization without registration and you can't have registration without the numbers of the residents actually being there. Andre Gillespie, you get the last word on today's Political Rewind. Thank you so much for your analysis. Leo Smith, a pleasure to have you. Sam Park, thanks for your first appearance. Come back. You need to see us again on this show. Um, we're running out of time. I'm Bill Nygut. I'm back tomorrow with another Political Rewind. In the meantime, please take care. Stay healthy. CDC says, yeah, wear a mask to protect yourself, not just others, and go get a flu shot. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow. <laughs>